Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? Happy Easter to you. You've already been greeted hopefully 10 or 12 times, and hopefully you will be 10 or 12 more times before you leave. We're so glad that you're here. And let me just tell you right up front what you need to know, that over the last few weeks, our staff has been praying for you, praying for this day, because we believe that there's power in Easter. And it's not just because you dressed up today. Some of you haven't been dressed this nice since the last wedding or funeral you went to. But uh, I've said for a while that I only get dressed up when people get married and when people die. And Jesus died, but he raised from the dead, and so I got dressed up for that. But um, we're excited that you're here. But here's the other thing about Easter. The reason that we believe it's powerful and the reason that we believe it's special is because the candy at Easter time rivals Halloween now. I mean, these companies have really put a lot of thought and effort. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. This may not be theologically correct, but I believe those little Reese's eggs are going to be served in heaven. I am convinced... And here's what you need to know. We already had our first Easter service. We actually had our first Easter service this year on Wednesday night because this was spring break. A bunch of families were leaving. And so they didn't get to open Easter baskets like some of you did. So we actually gave them Easter candy on Wednesday night. I don't know why they chose not to give it to you today. You have to take that up with somebody else. But let me just tell you, I found out they were giving out Reese's Easter eggs or whatever. A lot of those did not make it to our attenders Wednesday night when I found out. Because those things are amazing. But Easter is powerful. Easter is special. And again, it's not because you dressed up, it's not because of bunny, it's not because of candy. It's because of something else that we believe exists because of what we're celebrating with Easter Sunday. If you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. It's the first of the Gospels where we read the accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in the most really succinct way uh, there in those Gospel accounts. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to spend a lot of our time together today. Matthew 28, we'll start reading in verse 1 in just a minute, because I want us to all be on the same page with what this Easter story really looks like for all of us today. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation for this part of the passage today. This is what it says. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. And the women ran quickly from the tomb and they were very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, we read from Matthew 28, but the Easter story also appears in Mark chapter 16, Luke 24, 
in John chapter 20. And I told you earlier that these four gospel accounts, these four books that open the New Testament, help provide for us the most succinct form of the life and ministry of Jesus as he was on the earth. But what's important to understand is that each gospel writer was actually writing to a different audience. They were writing to a different group of people, which is important for us to know because that helps us to understand why they told some of the stories that they told or why they even shared some of the stories the way that they told them for those that are maybe in multiple gospels. But when we read through the Easter story, there's a lot of commonality between these tellings. But I love the understanding that I gain when I understand the audience that each, each gospel writer was writing to. Mark was writing to Gentile Christians in Rome who were being persecuted. And Mark is often uh, described as the eyewitness account of Simon Peter. And so when we read the Gospel of Mark, we're reading really the, the, the details that, that Peter would have had of what was taking place. But when he's writing to the Gentile Christians in Rome, we see that Luke was, was really writing to Gentile Christians as well. He was writing specifically to Theophilus. And so we understand that when Luke is writing, he's writing from a different perspective to a different group of people. We understand that John was written to really the world at large. And so that's why we understand these grand themes that exist in the book of John. For God so loved the world and the idea that, that he... Uh, he came into, he was, the word was in the beginning and the word was with God. I mean, these very grand themes that John was writing to, to the world at large. But then when we come to the book of Matthew, we recognize that Matthew was writing to these Jewish Christians or to Jews who were contemplating becoming Christians. And that's important because Matthew describes a lot of things that would have been appealing to or would have been recognizable to these Jewish people, these people with a heritage in Judaism. And so I love that Matthew in not just this account, but in other places in the Matthew gospel, he's writing a lot about prophecy. He's telling them some things that they would recognize because of the prophets of old. They would have recognized some of that language. They would have been familiar with some of those stories. So he tells some prophecy. I love that Matthew, and there's, it's in other gospels as well. I love that Matthew uses the, the story of the women who were the eyewitness accounts, and they helped to spread the message of the resurrection. Because in that culture, the eyewitness account of women wouldn't accounted for anything. It wasn't admissible in a court of law. So the fact that Matthew was taking the witness of women and the story of women and Jesus interacting with women to help spread this incredible story is a powerful statement. But one of the other things that I love about this account is that Matthew wanted us to know that it was after the Sabbath that it was early on Sunday morning that it was taking place. And there's been a lot of discussion about when Jesus died on the cross and when Jesus resurrected from the tomb. But Matthew wanted us to know that the Sabbath had taken place and that it was early Sunday morning when they get word, when they witness for themselves, that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And as I thought about that, I just thought about this interesting idea of time, that Matthew wanted us to know that there was a specific time that this event had taken place. He could have just told us something general. He could have just said, you know, they got there early. But he wanted us to know that it was early on Sunday morning so that we could recognize that there was a specific transaction or a, trans, a, a history of events that had already taken place. So they get to this moment and they recognize that a new week had started. And I started thinking about time and I started thinking about how interesting time is because it's this finite thing that we have. It's not renewable. No matter how much you want to, you can't create more time. Eventually the day ends. Eventually the hour is over. Eventually the week is done. The month is done. The years seem to pass by more and more quickly for some of you. Um, but here's the other thing that I know. A lot of us, we love to describe, oh man, time is flying, right? My eight-year-old told me the other day that time flies when you're having fun. That was his philosophy. I think a lot of my eight-year-old's life is fun right now, so evidently time is at pretty much warp speed for him. 
But time doesn't go any faster or slower no matter how much we want it to, though it seems like it is. I was thinking about some times when time seems to go slow. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you have ever tried to pay off a student loan, (laughs) time goes slow, doesn't it? Because you make those payments and you look at the remaining balance and it doesn't seem to have moved at all. Time is creeping. I'll tell you another thing that we've, we've gotten into where time is, is really out of, out of whack for me. Take all the political things off the table from the last few days. But Amazon Prime has really changed my perception of how time passes. I tried to order something the other day, and it was going to take seven days for delivery. And I was like, where's it coming from? The moon? I mean, I'm used to getting it in two days. I'm not ordering it if it takes longer than two days. I don't understand how that happens now. Time just creeps by when we start thinking about this. I I know my children are are still young, but I I remember when our children were really, really young, some of these older parents would say to us, and it is true, I understand the sentiment, they would say, oh, treasure these days. They will fly by. And there was a season of time where we had a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, a newborn, and time was creeping by. There were days when I felt like all we did was spank, change, clean up poop, clean up, throw up, like feed them every now and then. Like at one point I wanted to stop feeding them to try to avoid what was happening after we fed them, but it took forever. No, but I understand time flies. I'll tell you where time does not fly, at least for me. For my children, it may fly. I remember the first time we went to Sky Zone. This is an indoor trampoline park, if you're not familiar with this. And, and we showed up, and we were buying, you know, our, our entry fee there. And they said, hey, how much time do you want? Do you want an hour or two hours? I was like, an hour? That'll go way too fast. We'll take two. And we had bounced until our heart was content, all right, until my heart was content. I was like, all right, how much time do we have left? They're like, an hour and 40 minutes. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Kids, we're, we're, we're cashing it in. We're not staying anymore. Just give it to it. Take your sticker off. Give it to another kid. We're not staying here anymore. Time doesn't creep. Time doesn't go fast. But you and I picture time certain ways. It's why when the clock rolls from December the 31st to January the 1st, we become the most motivated people you've ever met in your whole life. This is the year. This is the day that we start eating better, exercising more, saving more, spending less. Like, this is the time we're spending time with our family. We are committed to being the right people. There's nothing different about 12.01 a.m. January 1st and, say, 10.12 a.m. April 1st. You could make those same decisions today to spend less, save more, eat better, exercise more, spend more time. And yet there's something about a new day, a new week, a new month, a new year that convinces us that it's time for a fresh start. Well, time originated not in this story in Matthew, but all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And you can flip there if you want to with me. It's right at the beginning of the book. Just kind of go to the table of contents and flip over a little bit. This will be up on the screen. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. The first day was a result of God's words and God's creative design. And what I love about this passage in Genesis 1, I don't know how much time you've ever spent just looking at these words from Genesis 1, but there were a few things that really jumped out to me as I was reading this just a few weeks ago in preparation of today. Look at this. We already read it there in verse 2. It says, And darkness covered the deep waters, 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And when I read that, I was reminded that, you know, the, the beginning of Genesis 1 tells us that the earth was formless and void and chaotic. And some of you may describe parts of your life that way. Maybe you'd say, man, my, my, my life seems a little chaotic sometimes. Maybe you have young kids and that's the reason. Or maybe it's a totally different stage of life. And there's just circumstances in your life that have created a sense of chaos for you. Maybe it seems formless. Maybe there's just no rhyme or reason to what's happening. You're just kind of floating through life with no sense of purpose or direction. Maybe there is a sense of emptiness in your life. And so we go all the way back to Genesis 1 and recognize that God stepped into circumstances just like that. And it says that as, they, as God was stepping into it, that darkness covered those deep waters. Maybe there's darkness in your life in some place. But here's what I love. The truth of the next verse says that, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water, wherever darkness seems like it is coming all over you. It's suffocating you. It's all around you. You can't breathe. You're not sure how you're going to make it. I would remind you today that all the way back in Genesis 1, we saw that the order of God is that his spirit hovers over even those dark places that we are convinced he is nowhere near us. I love that passage. Verse 3 says this, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Like as almost the most offhanded comment in all of scripture, it was dark, there was no light, there was no light source, let there be light, and there was light. I'm reminded that light comes because the Father speaks it into existence. It reminds me of that story in the gospel accounts where Jesus was with the disciples and they get on a boat and Jesus takes a nap while they're on. And if you've ever been on a boat, you know, kind of the rocking waters maybe puts you to sleep a little bit. Maybe that was Jesus in that moment, but he falls asleep and the winds and the waves kick up and the storms come. And man, it's a powerful storm. And it scared a bunch of fishermen that were used to being on the water. So there was something special about this storm and they're convinced they're going to die. And so they go running to get Jesus and they wake him up. Master, rabbi, teacher, Lord, wake up. What are you doing? You're asleep. We're going to die. Why are you leaving us out here to die? Why don't you do something about this? And he gets up, steps to the front of the boat, and says, peace, be still. He had the ability to speak peace into chaos, peace into the midst of a storm, just like God spoke light into the darkness. One word. God can do more in one word that I could do standing up here preaching until I have no breath left in my body, which I'm not going to do today for those that got worried, all right? Because God's words have power. Look at this in verse 5. And evening passed and morning came. Some of you are walking through a season right now where you're not convinced that evening will pass. That darkness that we describe, those circumstances that we describe, that chaos, that emptiness, that void, that formlessness, this the darkness that seems to surround you perhaps, you are not convinced that it's going to end because you're just not sure how it's going to end. You're not sure how you get out of this. You just, you kept walking and it just seemed to get darker. You stood still and it didn't move past you. You weren't sure how this thing was going to change. And yet we see that evening passed and morning came. It reminds me that darkness ends. Nighttime is not forever. I'm reminded of the words of Psalm 30 that said, Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And some of you, you're waiting on the morning to get here. And we talked about this just a few weeks ago on a Sunday. But if you've ever walked through a dark season and you've experienced the joy of morning, you need to tell that story as often as you can. 
Because there are others who are walking through the darkness and living through the darkness, and they are not convinced that morning will ever come. But evening passes, and morning always comes. But it's easy for us to look back at the Easter story and just see it as a written story. It's like, oh, well, that's just something we read at Easter and we just kind of leave it there after Easter, and we read the rest of the Bible you know, throughout the year, but we just don't come back to Easter. But I want us just for the next few minutes, before we close our time together today, I want us to kind of live out the events of some of this Easter passage that we just read, and some that was already read late, earlier in the week. This idea that these events weren't just these emotionless, non-reality things because we just kind of read them printed on paper or on our screens, no, 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 this was actual events that were taking place in the lives of people that we can read about in other places in the gospel. But I want us to read another passage from one chapter earlier, Matthew 27, and I want us to envision what it would be like to be standing there in that moment as these, as these events were taking place in front of us. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you had been a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time up to this moment, maybe you were converted to his way of teaching just a day or two prior when he was doing some teaching, the last really teaching yet on earth in the temple that day in Jerusalem. Maybe that was when you heard it and it connected to your heart and you decided to follow him. Maybe you were one of those guys that had been walking with him for maybe three years or so. Or somewhere in between, you had seen a miracle, you had heard him teach in a way that no one else had ever taught. And your heart gravitated to that message. And so you have been following after him. And you have heard the hope-filled message that he has declared about the coming kingdom of the Father. You've seen his power to overcome blindness and to do miracles and to be more powerful than leprosy. You heard the story, even if you weren't there, of him calling Lazarus out of the grave. And you experienced that and you heard that and you were filled with such hope. And now you stand, maybe at a distance, so you can't be identified with, with him and as a follower of Jesus. And you hear him cry out himself in the darkness that has taken over the land. It's dark. Your eyes are now, you, you can't really see anything at all. And your ears pick up the sound from the cross as he says, God, why have you forsaken me? What emotions would you feel in that moment? Hopelessness? You would start to question everything you'd heard him say. You would start to question everything that you thought he meant in the years that he had been teaching on the earth, you, you, you can't be sure of anything in those moments because you're not sure. Darkness has surrounded you. Your circumstances have changed. Your ears are hearing something that seems so counter to anything he's already taught up to this moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was dark. It was hopeless. Jesus himself seems to be questioning the Father and you're you're not theologically astute enough to recognize how all these events are transpiring for all of eternity and for people thousands of years later sitting in a room in Canton, Georgia. You don't know how all this is playing out. You're just standing at the foot of the cross hearing him say these words, and you don't know what it means for you. I would say they felt very similar to what you and I feel when we get into those hopeless situations in our lives. Those moments that seem like, man, it's dark, it's hopeless, I remember hearing a story in Sunday school one time or in church one time, and, but now my circumstances make me question everything that I've ever thought or heard about a God 
who loves me, who wants good things for me, because I'm walking through a pretty dark season right now. It is over. Jesus died. Like, he actually died on the earth, and they took him down from the cross, and this guy named Joseph, who was from Arimathea, he comes, and he requests the body, and he puts Jesus into a tomb. And again, you don't have all of the next parts of the story to piece it all together. You just saw that he died. Hopelessness. A lack of understanding of how any of this makes sense. Because in those moments, we're just not sure that we can piece it all together. The story's over. The story's done. Like, there's no way anything good can happen from this because it's over. Maybe you're walking through a similar situation today. Maybe your marriage is over. Maybe one or both of you has convinced yourself that the only recourse at this point is to split or to stay split or to give up. It's over. Maybe your finances are in shambles. You're praying and believing for a turnaround, but you've prayed and believed for that before, and it's not happened, and it just feels like it's over. It's dark. You don't understand how any good can come from this. It is over. Your health situation, the reports of the doctors, they're hopeless. They give you no hope or little hope. It feels over. Life feels over. Your past, the things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made, they carry with them such a shame and a guilt and a condemnation inside of you that it feels like faith is beyond your reach. It is over. Your sin feels bigger. But I love the words of John 1, 5. It says, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. And so let's read again the very first verse that we read today, Matthew 28, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. A new day is dawning. I believe it with all of my heart. I told you at the very beginning today that we've been praying for you for weeks. And we haven't just been praying that you'd show up. We haven't been praying that you'd look nice. We haven't been praying that you'd greet each other and have a good time. We haven't been praying that you'd win an Easter basket in our giveaway. We've been praying that Easter would become the reality for you. That when you feel like life is over, when you feel like your circumstances are over, when you feel darkness raining in on you, that you would experience a new day dawning in your life. You'd experience something new that you've maybe never experienced before because Easter is powerful and it's powerful not because of bunnies and candy and clothes and church. Easter is powerful because it proves to us that the story is never over. Not until God says it's over. The same God that can speak light into darkness tells us when the story is over. And so you and I are not promised. Let me just kind of burst your bubble a little bit. You and I are not promised that death will never come. We're not promised that bad circumstances will never come. We are only promised that death is not the end. We are only promised that those bad circumstances do not define us because a new day is dawning. And if a new day can dawn, and if life can actually follow death, then a failed class is not the end. A rejected business proposal isn't the end. Bankruptcy isn't the end. A big fight in the kitchen isn't the end because a new day is dawning. That's what I believe about you. 
I believe that no matter how dark it seems, that God can speak, let there be light into that circumstance and everything can change. Everything can change. Because Easter is not a moment. Easter is not a day. Easter is not an event. Easter is our reality. Easter is our identity. It's why we felt comfortable enough to have an Easter service on Wednesday. I had people go, well, you think you can do that, like, theologically? I'm like, I can celebrate Easter on Christmas. Because Easter is not a moment in time. Easter is my identity. It's my reality. Here's the thing for you to know today. I'm an Easter person. Not because I like candy. But because resurrection is not confined to a day on the calendar for me. Resurrection pervades everything that I am. It consumes my life. Resurrection is in my home. It's in my marriage. It's in my children. It's in my finances. It's in my job. It's in this church. And whatever you have need of today, resurrection is available to you. That's what Jesus proved. He proved that death is not the end and darkness is not the end. Light is possible because a new day is dawning. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we're all an Easter people. If you've never said that to somebody, when you walk out today, just shake their hand and thank them for coming and say, I'm an Easter person. If you do it outside the church, somebody's going to look at you like crazy. But that's okay. That may be the moment that you get to tell them that resurrection is not just today. You could tell them tomorrow and it would still be true. You could tell them a month from now and it would still be true. Because you are an Easter person. Your identity is found in the power of God that proves that death is not the end. Nothing that you and I have convinced ourselves that it's over is the end unless God says it is so. Because even in the darkest moments of our lives, God says, let there be light. Let there be light. And it is so. So today you came. Maybe you didn't know why you came. Maybe this is just what you do on Easter. Maybe your mom drug you here. Or somebody promised you lunch if you came. (laughs) If so, tell me where to meet you, all right? (laughs) But you showed up today, and you may say, you know what, Jeremy, I I mean, that sounds great. But I I can't say that I'm an Easter person, because I've never really defined myself as a Jesus person. I mean, I know who he is. I've heard about him. I've been in moments like this before. But I've never asked Jesus to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. I've never asked him beyond the religious dogma that maybe I've heard or somebody told me at some point. I've never asked Jesus to allow me to be in relationship with him so that I can be a Jesus person, so I can be an Easter person. Today's your day. Today's the day that you can say to a loving Heavenly Father, God, I need you to forgive me. I I need you to speak light into some dark places. I need you to change my circumstances. And here's what I promise you. He will do it in a moment. As soon as you acknowledge your need for him, he responds to you. And in that moment, I believe everything will change. Your eternity will change in that moment. There are others of you today that you would say, hey, it's not about salvation for me. 
But there are definitely dark places in my life that I need God to shine some light into. And I'm asking him to do that today. I want to live out the power of Easter so that some dead things can be brought back to life and some dark places can have light shined into them. And so we want to give you the opportunity to pray today. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Just for a moment, nobody looking around. If you would say to me, Jeremy, I'm one of those people you talked about. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not a Jesus person. I've heard about him, but I've never asked him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Or maybe I have, but it's been a long time, and I know that I have walked away from him in ways that are just beyond making mistakes, but I know that I've tangibly walked away from who Jesus is and what he's calling me to be. If that's you today and you want to change your eternity, we're going to pray with you. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not salvation. I just need God to shine some light into dark places. I need God to bring some dead things back to life. Would you pray for me today? Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Tons of hands. God, we love you. We thank you for Easter. We thank you today, God, that Easter is not a moment on a calendar. It's not just a day. God, Easter is our reality. And so, God, I pray now for every person that would say, that's not my reality. And God, they've acknowledged their need for you today. They have acknowledged that they need you to forgive their sins and to lead in God and direct their lives from this moment forward. And so, God, we celebrate with heaven for the decisions that have been made because your word tells us that when even one lost person finds life in Christ, that heaven has a party. And so, God, today we celebrate. It's why we exist. As people are changing the trajectory of their lives and the trajectory of their families because generations matter. And so, God, today they're making that decision. God, now we pray for every person that lifted their hand to say there's some dark places in their life and they're asking you to shine light into them. They're asking you, God, to breathe life into those dead places because, God, we believe you can do that. You proved it on Easter Sunday. And so, God, now we pray for the miraculous to be done. We can't wait to hear the stories of all that you are accomplishing in this moment and will in the days to come. God, we're asking you to do something powerful. God, I'm praying for marriages to be restored. I'm praying for relationships to be reconciled. I'm praying for bad health reports to be turned around and doctors to just to not know what's happening because your miraculous touch has changed those circumstances. God, we're praying for financial miracles. We're praying for job-related things. We believe that you can bring life to dead things again. And so God, do something that we can't do. We trust you. We believe you. We honor you today. We thank you for Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.